Hi, friends. You're tuned in to Legal Means Business, a podcast by Leeway. We are joined by some amazing guests who help us identify how to take your legal function and career to the next level. I'm your host, Steph Smith, and we're talking all things legal ops and legal tech, as well as other critical skills needed to help you thrive in the evolving in-house arena. Don't forget, you can watch us on YouTube or listen on the go through Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the conversation, please do hit subscribe and let us know what you think on social. One of the easiest ways to prove OKRs is through your legal operations initiatives because a lot of the work that we're doing is, is coming through with hard deliverables like a piece of software or a process or a website or data. Mm-hmm. So I think those are all really easy wins for the legal team in terms of like putting things on paper, especially CLM, right? It's a very satisfying thing for the legal department to say we've improved these SLAs, we have this data. So OKRs, I think, is a great way to, to track your ROI. Um, um, mm-hmm. and, and also, you know, track the success of your department as a legal operations professional. Contract lifecycle management, or CLM for short, is a hot topic in the world of in-house legal. With Leeway being a CLM provider, we know how important it is for legal teams to prove the return on investment of their chosen tool to the relevant stakeholders. But often, people don't know where to start. That's why in this episode, we're joined by legal tech enthusiast, Marie Weidmer, and head of legal operations at Nextdoor, Dave Evans, who help us explore exactly how you can prove the ROI of your CLM solution. Let's dive in. Hi, Marie. Hi, Dave. How are we doing? Thank you for joining us. Doing good. Well, we're de- delighted to, to have you with us um, again, Marie, and for the first time, Dave, uh, to be talking about a particular challenge, I would say, uh, that people experience when it comes to contract um, management solutions and CLMs. Um, but before we dive in, just for, for the sake of the listeners or the viewers, it'd be great to just to recap what exactly a CLM is, if possible. I don't know who wants to tackle this first. Yeah, sure. So... Uh... <laughs> So I'll just introduce, I'm Dave Evans, uh, currently work at Nextdoor, I've been doing legal operations for eight or nine years now. Um, so CLM, sort of this idea of an end-to-end solution, creating, negotiating, managing contracts to the signature and then post-signature uh, analytics of those contracts that are being signed. Um, there's a lot that goes into each of those steps. and. Sometimes you find a solution that's perfect end to end. Sometimes you kind of have to bring a couple solutions together, uh, like puzzle pieces, uh, mm. to get your full product. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point actually. That sometimes it takes, um, and it depends on your needs, of course, as well, doesn't it, to find exactly what you're what you're looking for. But we are seeing more and more uh, great legal teams around the world investing in tech to accelerate and streamline their legal and more operational and business processes but adopting adopting the right software can present uh, a few challenges and one of that is being in particular decision makers are expecting to see a solid proof solid proof of value right um so first off how important is it to to prove the return of investment 
on your CLM. You want to take that, Marie? Or? Yeah, yeah, I can. I can jump in. Um, it's incredibly important. The amount of work that we put into getting buy-in for these tools, especially when legal teams are fairly new to adopting tech. I think we we do like we talked about last episode, right? A lot of the the buy-in that we get is promising that we're saving human hours, that we're we're accumulating data, and they're really looking for a quick return on that, right? So they're looking for immediate effect of those efficiencies and, and use of that data and, and proof that kind of we've made good on our promises, which is a hard thing to do because rolling out CLM can take a long time. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that in this episode, of course, but there's there's definitely some quick wins that you can do to prove ROI. And then there's some long-term wins. And I think it's just all about expectation setting and leadership and really letting them know that you're keeping things moving in the right direction. That's an interesting point. Yeah, when does the process start, would you say, or when do you need to start thinking about the ROI and setting expectations? For me, it's it's the that thought process begins during the RFP phase. Um, mm. If I don't know what I'm going to get at the end, then you know that's going to definitely impact how I sell it to the business, right? Because you don't want to sell something and not be able to deliver on those promises. Yeah, and then you know, for the company, do you have something in place already? Is it the change management? scaling up or going sideways and finding a new solution or are you just getting into the business of CLM right so maybe you're managing everything very manually and your ideas are I know there's a better way to do this and I know these systems can handle this in a more efficient manner give you visibility into what's going on where are those bottlenecks and all that Mm -hmm. Um, yeah once you have a good understanding of what the process is whatever you're doing currently and like pinpointing those uh, benefits and efficiencies is, is always uh, huge. Uh, yeah, for sure. And it's probably quite overwhelming if people have never done it before. How how should we be thinking about the ROI of a of a CLM and and what sort of uh, buckets should we be considering? That's a good question, Dave. I can. Do you want to go first on this one or? <laughs> there's there's uh, a ton of places and obviously it's all kind of dependent on your department what your department's looking for what your company's looking for you know i've had a shift kind of priorities or the mentality in my last couple roles where previously everything was really hyper focused on the data the numbers auto renewals and all of those ideas Mm -hmm. and i've had a shift into different portions of risk so what are we tracking what are you able to report on what do you not necessarily need to report on, but be able to find at a later time. Uh, so reporting versus being able to search. And then, you know, the analytics of the whole workflow, the, the life of the contract, what does that look like? Where are those bottlenecks? Our last company, we did uh, actually essentially a cost analysis of every contract, every type of contract that went through. Mm-hmm. We asked everybody that, w- that was partaking in the, the life cycle, how much time is this taking up? and literally calculating that out to see mm. what each contract costs. So we could, it was helping build, you know, our business model of like, Hey, this, maybe we're doing something inefficiently and it's actually costing us money to go this route with a particular product in that whole life cycle, right? If we're spending, you know, 20 hours getting something up and we're getting a very small return, uh, it doesn't make sense. And so it actually helped uh, shift our priorities in tracking all that information. And that was something we didn't necessarily have. So it was a manual process. 
if, mm. if I had another solution at the time, I would have been able to say, hey, yeah, this sits in so-and-so's bucket for, you know, a couple of days and this person's actually doing physical work on it for this many hours. So like getting those key insights is really critical for me now. Yeah. And being able to quantify it with those those numbers that you were saying is is, is pretty cool and useful if you're um, communicating with, with the decision makers and, and business teams as well, I suppose. And, and Marie, right. what, what, what are your thoughts on, um, yeah, what is the, the ROI of, of a CLM? Yeah. So piggybacking off of um, Dave, there's kind of four categories that that I think are kind of easily that can be easily broken down into. So there's efficiencies, which covers cost savings. There's data, which Dave touched on, as well as risk management, um, which is kind of a use of data, but just a separate category in my mind because it's so broad. And attorney time. So mm-hmm. for me, having a tool like CLM is, is a way to capture SLAs that we were never able to, able to capture before, right? It's, it's um, capturing key data that you can use for financial analysis, sales analysis, looking at different clauses that pose a risk to your company. I have an example I can talk about later that came up for me during COVID um, that I don't think I'll ever forget. (laughs) And then attorney time, like Dave said, right? Like really understanding uh, if if you don't know what, you know, what it's taking for each of your attorneys to kind of do things from scratch every time, which is what a lot of legal teams are suffering from is, is that contracts are basically a, a form of art every time they hit the table instead of a standardized process. Um, so looking at kind of the impact that it makes to start to build playbooks and have post post and pre-contract analytics so that you can really kind of take away that, that um, kind of take that time off of the attorney's plate. That's right. I remember, you know, pre like CLM, one of my last departments, everybody was always like, yeah, I remember this clause. It kind of fit really well for this uh, particular contract. Let me go find it. And they're searching email and searching you know, the folders. Who is that with? And now like building out clause libraries and, and playbooks is, is so uh, instrumental in, in speeding up the process for, for a lot of those contracts. Yeah, it's a game changer, right? It, is, it does uh, completely redefine the way that, I guess, with contracts in particular, yeah, the way that the way the legal team will work and the business teams, of course, sorry, will work with um, with contracts and making it much more streamlined, which is pretty cool. And um, Marie, you you mentioned some examples there, and Dave, it'd be great to hear any as well if you have of, um, yeah, the types of ROI. For CLMs, I don't know if you want to dive into the one you mentioned during COVID. Yeah, um, I, I can quickly go into that, and then I, I, I know Dave has his own stories with this kind of stuff too. <laughs> um, I know for me, the one that really continues to stick out was, you know, COVID started, and I was working at a company that hosted a lot of events, and one of the imme- things that became immediately apparent to us, right, was that we we were very early into using a CLM and we were very early into rolling out procurement. So there was no real vendor database. There was no understanding of which vendors were the most high risk for us at that time. And one of the things we had to do was go back and look at every single force majeure clause and, and kind of try to categorize not only by, we didn't want to waste time looking at every single contract, right? So we had to categorize by which were the highest risk in terms of spend um, mm. and which were related to events. And because we really hadn't onboarded into a CLM fully yet, that was a very difficult task because a lot of the, a lot of the document pull, a lot of the, a lot of the data that we were pulling was manual. Right. And so 
breaking that down into a spreadsheet with, with cost and the clause and what the implica implications were and what time we had to cancel the event, if we could even cancel it all. That was very manual. And um, these days, really, you can you can do that in a matter of minutes if you have a good CLM with a good repository and reporting function. So mm -hmm. that for me is is a pretty solid ROI. <laughs> yes, for sure. And when you have those examples of having experienced the the difficulties, I suppose it's so clear, isn't it, to see to see the ROI? But I guess it's a little more difficult if you haven't necessarily had the bad times. Uh, to appreciate the good times, I suppose. <laughs> uh, Dave, do you have any examples yourself? Yeah, uh, there's definitely one that always comes to mind. And this kind of drives into the, you know, what you need to report on and what you need that's uh, searchable. Mm -hmm. right? So you don't always know exactly what is going to become important until it's important. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can do as much planning. You can be categorizing items as best you can, the, the typical items, the uh, limitations of liability, force majeure, you know, renewal dates and all of that. But sometimes you just, there's something that's in your contract that you need to see what contracts is it, is it included and where is it not? So we had company go out of business. Uh, that was a major player in our industry, in the ad tech industry. And we had to go back and find every contract that had a particular clawback, clawback language mm -hmm. uh, in all these contracts to see you know, what was our total exposure with their bankruptcy? This company went bankrupt and we were just not going to be able to get any revenue back from them. And during this process, you know, this happened at two o'clock. So they're an East Coast company in the U.S. And you wait until the last opportunity you can to actually declare that bankruptcy. So for us on the West Coast, it's 2 p.m. on a Friday. My boss is on vacation and we get this notification that, you know, this company has gone bankrupt. We have to go and do this, and we spent our entire weekend searching through agreements to find this clause. And so we started with just the top 20%, then we expanded to the 40%, and we're like, okay, that's at least a good start. But it took us multiple days, the two of us, my GC and myself, going through each of these agreements. Whereas if I had something that was easily searchable and reportable, I could have spit that out you know, within a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just that amount of time savings is huge uh, when you bring in a proper CLM. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think, um, yeah, as, as we touched on, they are great examples to to showcase the kind of efficiencies and the time saving that you can you can show. And I guess it's kind of come from lessons learned a little, especially thinking about if you're trying to prove the ROI of this investment that you've you've made in a CLM. So how do you provide or how do you prove the ROI of your CLM, I guess, and, and who are you proving it to? So you uh, definitely have a number of stakeholders when mm -hmm. you're launching, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's stakeholders within your department, is it just legal? Talking about vendor security, talking about finance, accounting, everybody's kind of uh, a part of the uh, CLM. So you have to prove to them that it's going to be worth their time to not only get ramped up and make sure that they're involved in the right uh, launch of, of a CLM of that software, but also they're going to maintain their part, their, um, as a stakeholder, continuing their support with that product. So yeah, you can bring all the numbers, you know, all, we've all heard the demos from all, all the CMs, CLMs of, you know, the time savings and all that. 
you can bring all that to the table. I don't think you get full buy-in though until it's been proven, right? Mm-hmm. I remember we had a number of uh, people that just weren't fully buying in. They weren't sure we were launching something quickly to really get going. But after about two months, we heard nothing but you know support from all these various stakeholders of this has been great. It gives us visibility in the contracts, which you know people didn't have in the past. Um, people aren't searching others like shared drives, right? We work on uh, Google, so you know doing the shared drives. Who has this contract? All these emails back and forth, it's all right there. Yeah. So you know the buy-in, you can get it initially, but it's not until I think it's fully implemented mm-hmm. that you truly, truly see that buy-in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually by support. Yeah, that's a really interesting, interesting point. Yeah, proving, yes, you can get the buy-in, but you're not cementing it until you've, you know, justified it almost with the with the ROI. <laughs> and Marie, what about yourself? How, how would you go about uh, proving the ROI? Um, I think Dave made a really good point that there's different ROIs for different departments, right? So mm. in my experience, right, the ROI that, you know, solidifies the, CLM with finance, for example, is is when they start to see that they're able to approve every contract easily, that nothing's kind of getting past them because they're already a built-in approver in the tool and they're getting kind of first first end access instead of hearing about it after the contract's been signed. I think that's an immediate ROI that we're able to get from you know our stakeholders. It's very similar with security or privacy. Just having easy access the minute the workflow is opened, you know, being a part of the contract from day one instead of finding out about it after the fact and, you know, having to scramble to to catch up historically via email. Mm-hmm. The other one, of course, that I think people notice the quickest is that historical knowledge. You know, employees, whether they're on legal or different departments in the company, come and go. And mm-hmm. when you have a CLM and all the data and comments and kind of history are tracked in workflows that anyone who's onboarding can see, I think that immediately gives a, you know, it, it gives the company relief, right? Because if new employees are joining or people are asking, what, whatever happened with this one? Why did it get dropped? You have an answer within seconds instead of having to go back through emails and, and kind of paste together an explanation. And, and then the other one, of course, SLAs. I Even at a startup where we had nothing to start with, I do try to track um, very manual SLAs to give an impression of like what the legal team was dealing with before versus now. So mm-hmm. at Dapper, you know, I was keeping a, a Google sheet to try to, you know, say wh- why were some contracts taken? Why was an NDA taking us a week? Why was an MSA taking us four to six weeks? And then when, I, when we launched into the CLM, one of my first things that I did was capture really tight SLA data to show that like our MSAs that have been coming out in the last month are getting done in, in 10 days instead of 20 and things mm-hmm. like that. So that's a, that's a great way to immediately kind of sell the impact of the tool to your stakeholders, to your GC, and also to, to your GC's bosses as well. There are five key steps to calculating the ROI of your CLM. Firstly, choose which metrics you want to measure. Is it the number of contracts your team works on in a given time frame? The average number of people involved throughout the whole process? <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to start that again. Mid snippet one. <clears throat> there are five key steps to calculating the ROI of your CLM. Firstly, choose which metrics you want to measure. Is it the number of contracts your team works on in a given time frame? The average number of people involved throughout the process? Or perhaps the average time to process a particular type of contract? Then, you need to establish a baseline. 
For the metrics you've just identified, what is the current figure for each? And how much do you estimate the new CLM will improve these figures? Once you've implemented your CLM, you need to calculate the return on investment, or ROI. You can do this by measuring the gain from the investment against the total cost of having the platform. You need to determine the total cost of ownership of this solution. And this is calculated using a summary of the costs related to the CLM, including costs associated with the subscription, the implementation, training, maintenance, and even the value of the time of your team that are spending time on implementing it. Lastly, you want to work out the benefits and gains from your CLM investment. This might include finding metrics around improvements to productivity, reduction in administrative costs, increased visibility, or of course, reduction in risk. When you have all of this, it'll become a whole lot easier to measure the ROI of your CLM solution. And when, so say you're gathering this data and you kind of know what you want to communicate in terms of ROI, how do you then go about communicating it in an, in an effective way? And I, I guess you might both have different um, examples and thoughts on that, but Dave, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, so definitely bringing the numbers of the efficiencies, right? Uh, a lot of people perceive legal as a roadblock, mm. which is obviously not what we're trying to be. We're trying to, you know, especially with like CLM, build out as many self-serve products as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, let's let's show, and I and I've done this where, like, okay, so when we started, there was essentially no self-serve, right? There was templates, but you had to reach out to legal to get them, and maybe there's some tweaks that had to be done. Yeah. Um, as we started launching new workflows, you get an idea, and you can start tracking how many contracts went through without us actually touching them, and as that number continued to rise, it was a great proof of uh, the return, right? Of uh, of that CLM. It's something that we weren't able to do in the past. And all of a sudden you provide all the tools to your sales team, all the tools to whoever it may be, to whether it's just NDAs, NDAs are so simple, right? They can be, but making it so that they can get them tweaked as needed. Is it per region? Are we changing choice of law? Providing those ability, the ability for the that team member to build the contract on their own with approved items from legal mm-hmm. saves everybody so much time. And so just seeing the, the quantity and the ratio for us of self-serve compared to managed contracts was a huge win uh, for, for our departments. Yeah, I can imagine you yeah, with the self-serve thing as well, which is huge for, for teams that have never had it before, definitely. And do you deliver this in some kind of like a wash up. So quite often for projects, you might have a wash up at the end of the project. Is it similar for, for CLMs and, and communicating the ROI? Or is it kind of ad hoc as and when? Uh, what does it look like when you're communicating the ROI? Yeah, so for, for us in that example, you know, we, we look at this on a monthly basis in the, in the team. Mm. We do OKRs. So sometimes it's, you know, we're ramping up something new. We're trying to get a new product through self-serve and we want to see that ratio. So we might report that on, on a quarterly basis. But then at the end of the year, we do a full um, view and we share this company-wide of, hey, here's all the contracts that Legal did. Not only are we, we showing our value of how many things came through, we're showing that value of how many things did we manage and how many were self-serve. Mm. 
Mm. We show every different contract type and if it was self-serve or a managed product. And that goes to the executive level first, they comment on it, and then it's shared out with, with the company. So mm-hmm. um, not only are we getting, you know, a great example for the teams to use and, and additional buy-in of like, hey, look, there's these self-serve products, but it shows the value of the legal team that we're trying to work with every department and provide them. Yeah, OKRs are such a great, great tool to communicate that, actually. I hadn't really thought about that before, especially because they're generally kind of, uh, business-wide and visible to everybody so that one as you said you get more buy-in people are like oh what's the legal team doing what are the legal team doing yeah and OKRs are really tough for like legal but that's one yeah. of those ones that you can do it's it's quantifiable you have the numbers you have like all that data that you can show a lot mm-hmm. of other things like hey yeah we completed a task yeah so something that just has to be done we're going to do it anyway legal is a very responsive department um, and this is something that shows, you know, proactive and you can actually hit target goals, number goals. Yeah. And what a great way to communicate that. I think, yeah, that's a brilliant shout. Um, for anyone listening or watching, uh, we do have a whole podcast on an introduction to OKRs for in-house legals. So feel free to tune into that. Marie, what about uh, your experience? Have you used OKRs as well or have you communicated the ROI in different ways? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of OKRs um, also because I think Legal operations, uh, shameless plug, is um, <laughs> is one of the one of the easiest one of the easiest ways to prove OKRs is through your legal operations initiatives because a lot of the work that we're doing is is coming through with hard deliverables like a piece of software or a process or a website or data. Mm-hmm. So I think those are all really easy wins for the legal team in terms of like putting things on paper, especially CLM, right? is a very satisfying thing for the legal department to say, we've improved these SLAs, we have this data. So OKRs, I think is a great way to to track your ROI um, mm-hmm. and, and also, you know, track the success of your department as a legal operations professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in smaller environments, so some of the updates in term of, terms of selling the ROI for CLM have been a little bit more informal. You know, certainly have done the end of year PowerPoint um, or the six month PowerPoint just so that my GC or CLO can take that up to the executive meeting and, and have some great talking points. But I would say mm-hmm. me personally, a lot of the selling that I do post implementation is, is usually via email or in meetings, kind of just kind of just almost like name dropping a little bit like, hey, yeah. by the way, we did this and we did that mm-hmm. and, and kind of hearing people's feedback as to whether they're surprised that that data is there or whether that mirrors their experience since working with us. And mm-hmm. of course, I do go around on Slack and, and also send out like a Google form mm-hmm. and try to collect some mm-hmm. some feedback from, you know, my peers in the company, right? So cross-functional partners, are, are you actually happy three months in? What do you think? what Mm -hmm. still needs improvement. And then, you know, also using those quotes, like if I get people randomly sending me messages saying like, this has improved everything. Thank you so much. I do, um, I do save those and, and kind of add that to our, you know, kind of talking points at the end of the year when we say, was this worth our money? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So you've got the, obviously the quantitative data from the time saves and et cetera, but including that qualitative feedback as well is often, you know, it tells the story a bit more impactfully, I think, when you're trying to communicate it to different people. But yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. And would one of you mind just as a, a quick run through of what OKRs means to you, just so um, as a quick overview for people listening? Yeah, so as I understand it, it is something 
that you're supposed to be able to measure quantifiably and has a specific target deadline. Mm-hmm. It can be a step of a full project. It could be, you know, closing out, you know, an integration um, as one step to, to a fuller uh, implementation of a software. It can be closing out a certain number of contracts, but it has to be something that you either did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to be measurable. And you set a certain date, you know, whether it's quarterly, you know, half annually or, uh, or for the full year. Some of them could be longer, but that's pretty rare. Um, but something that's measurable and, and you can report out on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a great shout using OKRs to, to communicate the ROI um, of your CLM. Perfect. Yes, well, thank you both so much for joining us. Um, I think it's an important conversation and one that people certainly struggle with um, from what I've seen in terms of conversations uh, online and everything. So hopefully um, it will be useful to everyone listening or watching. So thank you so much um, for taking the time to share. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, Sam.